0: Uh, let's turn to the book of Romans, chapter 4. We're in chapter 4 this morning, and we're going to talk about blessed are those, and he, Paul the Apostle is going to quote from Psalm 32, which was written by King David, who happened to be a dad. So I like to tell people I'm very blessable, and I'm totally serious. I'm pretty much the most blessable guy I know. So let me ask you, how would you finish this sentence? Blessed are those who, and some would go, uh, those who are drama-free, those who are hassle-free. Folks, there is no such animal. Life has drama. Life has hassle. Blessed are those who are popular, like they have 25 million uh, followers on social media. Personally, I would not want that because every time you go out to dinner, they're all gawking over you. Come on. You're embarrassing yourself. Uh, blessed are those who are popular. Some say blessed are those who have a great bank account and no financial worries. But this morning in Romans 4, we read about blessed are those who know they are forgiven. See, it's one thing to be declared forgiven. Like I, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I have repented of my past. I've renounced those hidden things of shame, as the Bible says, and I'm following Jesus Christ. And I know, theoretically, I'm forgiven but it's another thing to embrace it. I am truly forgiven. I don't always feel forgiven, but I am declared by the judge. The mountain goes down justified. You are forgiven. So uh review of thus far in Romans, chapter 1. You probably know this by now. Chapter 1 was man knows Gentiles are sinners. What a bunch of goyim, foreigners. What a bunch of heathens. They're all sinners. And then chapter 2, you go, well, we Jews, we're not much better. We're just as guilty, maybe not of the exact same sin, but we've offended a holy, holy, holy God. So chapter three, which uh, Pastor Danny uh, finished up last week, everyone's guilty. (laughs) Everyone's a sinner. Okay, how about some good news? So in chapter four, it's time to talk about the blessing of being forgiven. So we're reading from Romans chapter four. I'm reading from the New King James Bible. If you're new here, you're looking for a translation, that's the one I, I recommend. But there are, any English one is pretty good. You just got <laughs> to obey it. So, All right, so chapter 4 of Romans, verse 1. Well, what then should we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? So Abraham's the father of the faith. And they're saying, uh, what did he do in his body that warrants him getting into heaven? What, what did he do? Well, for if Abraham, again, Father Abraham, was justified by works, meaning if he gets to heaven because it was so good or he gave so much money or he sacrificed, said if he's justified by works, uh, he has something to boast about, but not before God. So then he says, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God instead of worked real hard, gave a lot of money. No, he, he believed God, and it was accounted to him. Now, that word accounting Are counted as going to be big. It was accounted him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace. They're not a freebie. You worked, you earned it. But as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes Righteousness apart from works. I, instead of working real hard, God imputes it to your account. And then he quotes from Psalm 32. I, I turned this into a song one day. If I wanted to really clear the room, I could sing it for you, but uh, just trust me. It was uh, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not. Impute, there's that word again, nine times in this chapter, impute. Let's pray. Lord, this is spiritual truth. If it were math and two plus two equals four, we could understand it, but we need your Holy Spirit to grasp and digest spiritual truth. And we ask for more than just being able to understand. We want to apply it and live it. We ask for the help of your Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so some key words, the first one being justified. I asked one of my granddaughters yesterday, how, how do you define justified? And so we broke it up. It's just as if I'd, and that's not original with me, but it's just a way to be broken up. Justified means just as if I'd never sinned, but it's way more than that. Uh, that's like if I was a gazillion dollars in debt just as if I never, brings me back to zero. But this is not just the absence of evil, it's the presence of God's righteousness. So it's just as if I'd never sinned, plus having the righteousness of God in Christ. Now you go, wait, how does that work? The Bible says we are in Christ. If you are a follower of Christ, if you've been born again and given your life to him and say, Lord, I've messed up, I need forgiveness. I give you my life. At that point, you become in Christ. It, it's like being in an envelope and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. And the outside of the envelope says, In Christ. And so God says, Where's Mike Stengel, that sinner? Oh, he's in Christ. I now have the righteousness of God in Christ. I am just as righteous in God's sight as Jesus Christ. Now you go, That is sacrilegious. That is wrong. Actually, if you have anything less than the righteousness of God in Christ, you will not make it into heaven. So okay, justified is just as if I'd never sinned, but plus I have all the righteousness of God in Christ. Three more key words in this part of scripture. First is boast. Did Father Abraham have something to boast about? Second is believe, and third is bless. All right, so boast. The question is, uh, Father Abraham, he, he might have something to boast about, but not before God Almighty. So you go, okay, well, what did he have? What possible things could he have boasted about? How about starting to follow God at the age of 75? So here he is at 75. I left everything, Abraham speaking. I had no idea where we're going. He just told me, instead of retiring, you are starting and you're going to follow me. And he goes, I followed God in faith, not knowing where we were going. I just knew it was hundreds of miles away. It was a hardship, but I knew I was in faith following God. When we got to the promised land, hundreds of miles later, there was a drought. And I thought, God, this is not what I signed up for. I don't want a drought. I want the abundant life. I want the over... If you're such a God of love, if you're going to take care of me, why am I going through a drought? Some of you are there this morning. God, what, what's going on? If you love me, if I'm forgiven, if I, where's this abundant life? Why am I going through a drought? Because he wants you to trust him. And at that point, Abraham and Sarah went to Egypt, got in a heap of trouble. Remember that? And they thought, man, I probably ruined it. No, they come back. And then 25 years later, so now at the age of 100, Abraham gets the promise. So I got my son. <laughs> It's just a laughter. We just laughed about it. It was so cool. And your son, man, I just at 100 years old, it's so worth, in faith, I received this son. And I thought, I will treasure him forever. And yet, when my son was a teenager, God says, I want you to kill him. And, and I was ready, in faith, to kill him on the altar of Mount Moriah. I, I thought, well, God gave me this son miraculously. Even if I kill him, he will miraculously Raise him from the dead. And so I was there. Can you imagine him get, giving his testimony? There he was with a dagger in my hand, ready to plunge it into his heart. Sorry to be so graphic, but that's how it was. And the angel said, stop. Now we know you're a man of faith. Now we know that you'll follow God. Now this leaves the last one, the biggest faith step in Abraham's life. Anybody, you ever think about this? What took more faith for Abraham than anything else? How about getting circumcised? Not only that, but convincing hundreds of men around him, you're going to get it too. How do you do that? How do you say, you know, okay, guys, bring it in. Uh, We need to talk. Um, Like Bob Pressler goes, how do I say this? I, I always know something heavy's coming. How do I say this? Uh, God's looking for total commitment. (laughs) Or how about this, you'll never believe what God says he's going to require. And they'd say, yeah, I don't believe it. But this man of faith led the way. He was circumcised and he, he convinced hundreds of others to do it. And then over the process of time, millions. That's a man of faith. So back to boasting. If Abraham could boast, oh, I was a man of faith, he could say a lot, a lot more than you and I. But not before God. He's not saying, I've done enough so I can go to heaven. You know, it's like saying, uh, uh, oh, this person was such a good person. He or she was such a good person. That's great. That's a great way to live. But that's not how you get to heaven. Jesus didn't guy, die for good people. He died for sinners, and he makes them good people. But it's the, the way to get to heaven is only by Jesus Christ. And so, here it is. What would heaven be like? It was full of boasting. How boring. If all you did, and you turned to one person. Let me tell you how I got here. You know, I gave a gazillion dollars. I fasted for a total of nine years. I raised the dead 17 times. I sacrificed. I just, yawn, yawn. You know, I, how boring. How Boring to, for people to try and outdo each other. That's how I got to heaven. When I get to heaven and I fully plan on being there, it's going to be, guys, I'm here by the grace of Jesus Christ. And everybody's going to say, amen, we know that. So do you. So what about believe, the second part of this scripture? He says doubt versus grace. And he uses this as an example of working And you've earned your wages versus not working, and by grace, you're giving wages. So suppose you're a ditch digger in Makaha. My friend's been working in Makaha lately outside, scorching sun, no no relief at all. So you work in the hot sun for 50 hours, and at the end of that week, you go into the office, and you tell your boss, hey, I'm ready for my paycheck. I have earned my paycheck. I have worked 50 hours. And your boss goes, well, even though you don't deserve this, because I'm such a nice guy, I'm going to give you the wages for 50 hours of work. You go, what are you talking about? I worked my tail off. I worked hard in the hot sun. This is not grace. This is, I earned it. I, you're a debtor to me. You owe me this much money, as opposed to grace. No, he just he just gives it to you. So, God will never owe me. I can never say, "Okay, God, because I did, that, I gave this much, I sacrificed here, I, I fasted here." You owe me salvation. You owe me forgiveness. God will never be a debtor to man. He will never owe me anything. But here we have this word accounted or imputed nine times in this chapter. It's called the doctrine of imputation. We'll get this again in chapter five. It's a beautiful, wonderful world, word. It's the idea, someone has this bank account, of a ton of dough, and I have zilch. And the imputing goes, oh, I'm going to take mine and put it in your account. It's a one-way affair. It's not back. I, I earned it so you get No, no, no. You don't earn it. You don't deserve it. I'm just going to give it to you. So years ago, Karen and I went to the mainland. I was uh, going to get treated for prostate cancer. And we got a phone call from someone in the church. And they go, uh, we want to help you get to the mainland. I think they were trying to get rid of us. But you are going to help you to get to the mainland. We have a ton of uh, miles in Hawaiian airline miles. And give us your account number. We're going to impute... Our miles into your account and just open your account and you'll find out you have enough miles to fly round trip to the mainland i thought this is a wonderful doctrine i had nothing and now by doing nothing someone took from theirs and sent it my way one way it's not two ways it's just one way and this is what the bible saying i don't deserve forgiveness god imputes it from his wonderful account He gives into my desperate account, and it's imputed, and I'm declared righteous. So for the third word, it's blessed, and so now we want to turn to Psalm 32, where he's going to quote from King David, who wrote Psalm 32, and so again, it's written by a dad. Are you there? Psalm 32, blessed are those, blessed are he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin Notice it's a different word for sin. Transgression, sin is covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. There's a third word for sin, and in whose spirit there is no guile. All right, so some main points. We're starting with just two verses. This is blessed. Do you remember what blessed means in the Greek? Remember when we were in the, the Sermon on the Mount? It's Makarios. The Greek word blessed, it means blessed to the point of being envied by others. They see you going through the same trials that they're going through, only you have peace. And they are going, how did you do that? They see you getting burned by someone, and you have joy. You have empathy. You have compassion. How, how do you? I want what you have. I'm envious of the relationship you have with God, the, the abundant life, the overflow. How do you do that? Blessed. Blessed, but in this case, it's blessed to be forgiven of three types of sins, all right? I don't know if you've ever distinguished these, but let's start with transgression. Transgression is a crossing of the line. Whether I knew the line was there or not doesn't matter. I've offended a holy, holy, holy God. Do you understand that? So it could be like, oh, don't touch the paint. It's wet. Oh, yeah? I crossed the line. I knew it. But it could be I'm walking along the park and I'm halfway up this acre and I see a sign that says, don't walk on the grass. I've already transgressed. I didn't know it, but I've already crossed the line. And David says, I'm guilty of all three of these and I'm forgiven of all three. So after transgression, we have the second word, sin. Now where transgression is crossing a line, sin is I'm actually trying to please God. I'm actually trying, and it, maybe you've heard someone go, oh, but God knows I'm trying. I, sh- I assure you, He knows you're trying. But anything short of holy, holy, holy is an offense to a holy God. And this is where I like to use that illustration. I hope you use this when you're sharing with people. You know, that oh, we can go to Ali East and try to swim to the, the buoy that's only a half mile out, Okay but let's swim from here to Japan. Thousands of miles, you go, that's impossible. That's the idea. You can try, but in trying, you're going to fall short. And it's an offense against the holy, holy, holy God. And I'm guilty. The third word for sin is not a crossing of the line. It is not trying. It is iniquity. This is a twisted wickedness. This means I know murder's wrong. I don't care. I know adultery is wrong. I don't care. I'm going for it. All right, so those are the three types of sin. In this Psalm, David says, I've done all three, and I'm forgiven of all three, and he knows it. To the dads here, hey, I'm a dad. I'm all about dads. You've probably heard me say, I always saw myself as a father. In uh, junior high, I literally was writing the names of my future kids. I wanted twins, Melody and Melanie, Karen says it's not going to happen. But I just saw myself as a dad. Now I've gone up to some dads and go, hey, uh, uh, you're getting old, actually you're on your deathbed, chances are I'm going to do your funeral, could you give me something to share? Could you give me some hope for your kids? That, hey, dad is with Jesus in heaven. Can you share your testimony in such a way where people don't go, what? When did that happen? Could it be that not only you know you're forgiven, but you're following the Savior? And and at that funeral, it'd be such reassurance to everybody there, oh, we miss him, but we'll catch up soon. So dads, let your kids know you're forgiven and demonstrate it by following the Savior, Jesus Christ. So Here's David, I did all three sins and I've been, I've been forgiven of all three sins. So then from blessed, he goes into to confess. Look at this in verse three. Again from Psalm 32. When I kept silent, that means silent about my sin, trying to hide it from God. My bones grew old. Oh gosh, listen. This 67-year-old body knows all about bones growing old. And these bones, you'll wake up in pain and they creak and they crack and they hurt for no reason at all. But that's just by being alive. He's saying, I tried to keep quiet about my sin. I tried to hide it and God's hand was so heavy upon me, I couldn't handle it. That's why in in Proverbs we read, he who hides his sin, he who covers his sin will not prosper. He who confesses and forsakes it will find mercy. So here he's going, when I kept silent about my sin, my bones grew old through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. God loves you so much. He doesn't want you to just waste your life in sin. And his hand of conviction will be upon you in love, not trying to chase you away, but to draw you closer so, he goes on, my vitality was d- turned into drought of summer. He goes, I once was the spring chicken. Now I walk a few steps. I'm about to die because of God's conviction on me. I acknowledged my sin. Now, here he's saying, I confessed. What did you confess? My sin. I'm taking ownership. I'm not saying, well, let me explain why I did this, God. No, I sinned. All right? Bottom line. I acknowledge my sin and the iniquity, that twisted wickedness of evil. I wasn't hiding it from you, God. I was confessing it. I've not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord. And what happened? You forgave the iniquity of my sin. You forgave the part of my sin. Oh, I did something here. You forgave the part of my sin I have no idea how this there we go. Unbelievable. Did I just close that? Huh? How cool. Here we go. Let's try this. Yeah. I just did that to get some appreciation, some love, man. Just come on. All right, so the confession. (laughs) He said, I confessed my sins, and you forgave the iniquity, the part that I wasn't even sure I should talk to you about. And you said, I know all about that. You're forgiven. So conviction of sin is a good thing. And we have to understand that. It's not a God of hatred pushing you away, but trying to draw you close As Jesus said, remember remember he cried over the nation or the the city of Jerusalem? Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, a term that means I sure love you. How often I wanted to gather you together like a chick, like a mama hen gathers all her chicks. But you were not willing. That was the problem. And he said, oh, but the the conviction was a good thing because it, it drew me close to you. Now, here's my, I have a problem with this. Because in Acts chapter 13, verse 32, it says this. God is quoted as saying this about King David. See if you understand. God says, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my own heart, who will do all my will. You're going, what David are you talking about? The David I know, that I read about, uh, he committed adultery. He had her husband murdered. He was a total phony and hypocrite. He was full of pride and caused 70,000 people to die. What are you talking about? Oh, yeah, there's a guy after my own heart. Because he was a good repenter. There's no other explanation. You know what David was good at? It's not like, oh, let's just write a song and God will be stoked. No, God says, "No, that guy's after my heart." He gets it. He repents. I want to tell you a story about one of the most challenging people I've ever had on staff. His name is Jason. Jason today is a missionary full time with his family of six. They're hoping to come back here in September. We want to have him share. You got room at your house? You got a car? He'll take a Cadillac, a Mercedes. Or, no, 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 he's not there. He's he's coming in in September. We're going to have him share. But when Jason first came, he was raw. He was edgy. He was a self-described scrapper, which he still is, meaning, I don't turn away from a fight. I scrap. And so when he first came, you know, I asked him to do a Bible study in Milani. He was still smoking cigarettes. That doesn't mean you're going to go to hell if you smoke cigarettes. It just means you smell like you were there. And so he finally quit those. (laughs) You got that one. Okay, good. Uh, So he he finally quit those when he realized he should probably lead by example. But he was feisty. And we had a bigger staff at that time we would have these staff meetings. And and I would say something he didn't like. And he'd go, what? And he'd throw, I don't know, I had a stack of notebooks and books. He'd stand up, he'd throw him down on the ground and storm out of the office. (laughs) Well, other leaders found out what was going on. And they said, You know, in my line of work, that guy would be fired for doing that. And I said, No, you know, I see I see something redeemable. I think God's hands are all over this guy. I think we need to uh, have mercy. And, And so in time he becomes the youth leader. And he was full of energy. He still is full of energy. Uh, so he, he, we, we, uh, he asked me to chaperone with him one night. We were going, I don't know, ice skating or something. We ran a big, you know, the big yellow school buses. Had a ton of student, students there. And on the way home, I'm so impressed. Jason just, no, he's a people person. And he's going around and having people time. And, and, but there was one mishap. I wasn't aware of it. Um, but she goes home, there was a younger girl goes home, and of course there's drama and, and all this stuff, and, and she goes home and tells her mom, I'm miserable and it's Pastor Jason's fault. So, of course, the next day, I get, I get a phone call. You got to do something with Pastor Jason. And uh, so I asked Jason into my office. He doesn't have the best history of that office. And I, hey, Jason, uh... I really loved what all we did last night. We did get a complaint there's a mishap. And before you just explain away your side of it, I'd want that mom on my team if I was the leader of the youth. She's a tremendous encouragement, a tremendous support. And I saw the light go on for Jason. He basically ran to his car, drove to the mom's house, And doesn't pour out his side of the story. Just say, hey, listen, I am so sorry and I can do better. Well, that lady eventually had three teenagers go through our youth group. She eventually became one of Jason's biggest supporters, biggest sources of encouragement. Because she loved him. Why? Because he's so good at messing up? No, because he's a good repenter. He gets it. You know, I, I was looking at this, and I'm going, if I was a student and and repentance was on the report card, does anybody get an A? Or are we kind of, you know that incomplete stuff they have? That kind of nonsense? We call it an F in my day, but I think a lot of times we get an incomplete. Or a C minus, rather than God saying, You see that guy? <laughs> I love him. He's a good repenter. He's a man after my own. He's a woman. She's a woman after my own heart who will do all my will. What do you mean? They're good at repenting. So in verses 6 through 11, we close and it says this. Again, Psalm 32. For this cause, what cause? Forgiveness, cleansing. New beginnings. For this cause, everyone who's godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. And I think for some of you here this morning, this is your time when you may be found by the Lord. It may be that you've been hiding sin. It may be that there's tons of drama and you don't know what to do. This might be your time to pray when He may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters, uh, they, they will not come near Him. You're my hiding place, Lord. I'm not running from you, I'm running to you. You're in my hiding place. You, you shall preserve me from trouble. You shall surround me with songs of deliverance and instruct me and, 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 and I, I'm sorry, here's the Lord speaking now in verse eight. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I'll guide you with my eye, meaning I need directions. I need guidance in life. And here's God saying, he's, okay, well, I'm watching you, Mike, uh, a little to the right. Okay, go you go, keep going, keep going. Right there. He's guiding us. He's watching us with his eye. What a total love commitment. And then here's Don't be like the horse or like the mule or the donkey or the uh, man, the old King James says even stronger. Jack something, but that's awkward. Don't be like a donkey. Don't be a burro. They have no understanding. They've gotta be harassed with a, a, a bit and a bridle, else they won't come near you. And, and so here he's saying, this is God's commitment to you. He's saying, listen, I want this relationship where you are free to come to me and confess and receive and not only forgiveness, but abundant life and power, resurrection power and, and fruitfulness. That's what he has for you, but he's saying, Please don't be a a donkey. They're impossible. They're just impossible. But this is God's commitment to you. But notice he says there in verse 9, or else they just won't come to you. And again, I go back to Jesus crying over Jerusalem. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I've wanted to gather you together. And he gives us this wonderful word picture of a hen gathering her chicks but you weren't willing. So on this Father's Day, are you willing to come close?